Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Double Down WNBA Podcast. I am Eric Nemchak alongside Stephen Trinkwald. We are back for another weekend game recap. Uh, first game we're going to be talking about, Connecticut Sun, Stephen's Connecticut Sun against the Phoenix Mercury. Uh, happened on Friday. Stephen, uh, congratulations on the Sun being good. Yeah, better than I think either of us expected, at least yeah. so far. Uh, I think there's reason to be um, cautiously optimistic more so than, you know, just kind of penciling them in for a title perhaps, but uh, it was definitely a encouraging uh, 84-67 win in Phoenix for the Sun, a rematch of a game just a few days prior on Sunday, an eight-point Connecticut Sun, which uh, Phoenix kind of let slip away. Um, Any overarching thoughts of this game uh, in terms of kind of what what stood out before we kind of dive into it? What stood out, first of all, I mean, the, the, the most blindingly obvious thing is that uh, the sun never trailed. If, if you look at the uh, kind of the, the ticker there, it's, it's all dark blue the whole game. So the sun really had this game. They started off really well, um, particularly in getting those transition buckets and kind of looked like they're just like ready to run Phoenix off the court. But the game settled down. Uh, it was an extremely slow game, <laughs> like the rest of the way. I think there were only like 71 or 72 possessions. So kind of a slog, but... Connecticut was actually pretty efficient in their offense today, despite, or today in this game, despite the uh, free throw discrepancy. I mean, there are like no free throws shot in this game compared to the first meeting between the two teams, which I thought was kind of odd. Uh, And before we dive into it, one thing I just wanted to ask you, you know, you had mentioned something about, um, you know, a visual representation of kind of like uh, which teams are leading. Where, where do you see that? I'm not familiar uh, with that. That is on the WNBA statistics. So there's, you can get two different times, uh, types of box scores on, on WNBA.com. There's the usual uh, basic one under the schedule. But if you go to stats, the stats page, and then schedule, and then you go to video box score, there is the box score with all the advanced stats, scoring usage, four factors, blah, blah, blah. You can get shot charts. You get the, um, you get the more in-depth stuff, uh, points in the paint. When WMA.com gets their video stuff together, like I know there's been some complaints about you know, video not being ready or whatever. Um, you can actually click on each player's statistics. Like, for example, let's say, like, let's say I want to see all of John Paul Jones's seven made field goals. I click on that, and it'll take me to the video showing all of the shots that John Paul Jones made. So pretty cool stuff. I don't know how many people are aware of that or not, but I like to use this uh, the stats box score just because it gives you more information. Yeah, I was definitely one of those people complaining about the video last weekend when I was uh, trying to do some more. Did they get that fixed yet? Yeah, they had everything up and running. Um, Good, good, good. uh, But anyway, so yeah, as you mentioned, Connecticut led for the entirety of this game. uh, And they really, you know, there were two big themes to me in this game, which the first one being Connecticut as a team, uh, a 40% offensive rebound rate in this game, which has really... Uh, jived with what they've been doing recently, absolutely dominating on the offensive glass. Uh, Historic pace so far this season for Connecticut on the offensive glass. Uh, And then on the other end, uh, Phoenix's two big lineup just suffocating them on their own kind of offensive end. Um, And that's something you, sorry, uh, that's something, Stephen, that you, um, you did post video of on Twitter. Tell us about what, what Phoenix's two big lineup, why that's so bad for them offensively. Well, for the season, it hasn't been terrible, right? Though that pairing, Griner and Turner, they they have a 109 offensive rating. It's actually been a little bit worse defensively, 106.4 defensive rating for the season. You know, the point of playing two traditional bigs like this should be to anchor you defensively, but right. um, not so much uh, for the Mercury. Um, but in this game, with those two on the court together, we saw uh, an 89.4 offensive rating which, you know, just for some context would be like one of the worst offenses in the league. You know, comparing lineups to, to whole team ratings is flawed, obviously, but uh, just to kind of give a little bit of an idea. So why this was such a problem for Phoenix was Connecticut was using Bree Jones as the primary defender on Brittany Griner, who is obviously the more traditional back-to-the-basket type offensive player. And Griner... One, she really had a hard time getting it going. Just three made baskets in the game. And really none of them were kind of traditional uh, one-on-one or, or even, you know, the, one of them was on in a pick and roll uh, against, you know, John Quell Jones was her defender in that possession. And she was able to get loose on the roll. The first possession of the second half, another basket for Griner where she 
had a post up and Connecticut didn't really hard double, you know, Bree Jones bit on the right pump fake shoulder and JJ, I mean, Griner finished over JJ with the left shoulder. And then, so, but to, to answer your question, what, what we saw in this game was a lot of, in the pick and roll specifically, Bree Jones able to hedge the ball screens uh, when it was like a 1-5 or a 2-5 pick and roll where Griner was the screener. Um, but because, you know, Turner, this was not her best cutting game in terms of kind of finding those alleys. And obviously she's a non-shooter. So what would happen was Jonquo Jones was pretty much just camped out in the paint underneath the rim, kind of waiting for any action to come her way. So you mentioned Brianna Jones. And this is, this is one thing that stood out to me about this game is that Brianna Jones she it seems like she just gets better and better defensively and it's not like again just like last season she just not doesn't have this monster defensive ceiling but she moves her feet i think better than her body type would suggest that she uh she does and she just outworked phoenix pretty much on both ends of the court she doesn't really need to be the center of attention on either offense or defense now for the sun team but um she really she really did good work today or in this game i thought yeah and with with Connecticut kind of playing this style defense where Jones uh Bree Jones gets out on the floor a little bit more um and I think one reason they do that uh well a couple reasons one I think one of Bree Jones's biggest strengths is her hands so if she's able to kind of get into the passing lanes right. that way um you know being a little bit more aggressive can hopefully generate some more turnovers and they did play a little bit more of a kind of traditional drop coverage with Bree Jones last year and what that allows especially for a team like this you know you're going to give up a lot of wide open kind of elbow jump shots to very capable mid-range jump shooters um so it allows Bree Jones to kind of play to her strengths defensively and the concern of that is usually you know you're kind of allowing the alleyway for the roller to have an easy opportunity getting to the basket but if you don't if your other big, and this isn't really something they could do with Alyssa Thomas on defense because she's not really a deterrent at the rim, but JJ obviously is. So having her camped in the paint when she doesn't have to necessarily guard her own defensive assignment one-on-one, you know, from 16 feet or whatever it may be, you know, she can really, like I said, just be a deterrent and make, you know, she forced a, a steal in this. She forced a Bree Turner uh, free throw line miss Um, there was a a JJ mom premier double team on the baseline that led to a fast break off a steal you know she um this they forced a Skylar Diggins Smith miss at the rim so all of those were results directly of John Quill Jones not having to guard uh Bree Turner you know away from the basket or or at the basket because obviously you know she's not like a post-up player either so but to kind of what you were saying yeah, not only was JJ able to be an impactful help defender, but Bree Jones, even in the one-on-one situations, she really held her own against Griner defensively. Like, help was not really needed in those post-possessions a lot of the times. Yeah, and if, if, you, don't, if you can guard Brittany Griner one-on-one, that does you so many favors defensively, especially because, as, as you have been saying, Brianna Turner is, is a paint-bound frontcourt player. So you can use your, 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 your JJ type of center to kind of sag off and, and be disruptive elsewhere. So, you know, the one-on-one defense from Brianna Jones, I thought was phenomenal. Um, could Brittany Griner have done more? I mean, I think yes. A lot of the times it looked like she wasn't even playing. This is one of the games I've seen where Griner is like totally invisible, which is not good. Yeah. And the other thing about this is like, we saw, Bree Turner at center for all of like three minutes in this game, like a minute and a half in each half. And obviously, you know, the problem for Phoenix is that they don't really have a ton of options like for that lineup. Uh, You know, their spacing option, quote unquote, at the four, Alana Smith has not been able to get her shooting to come around. Uh, She played in the second half instead of with Smith, with Sierra Burdick, who obviously is another paint bound player, like doesn't really provide a jump shooting element. So you know, what we saw last year for Phoenix's offense that worked so well, which was this being a more guard-heavy offensive, I guess, philosophy, and less so just kind of dumping it down into the paint all the time. You know, we we were not really able to kind of see that so far in a lot of uh, instances this year. Okay, so basically, it sounds like what you're saying is part of the reason the Sun have looked so good defensively is because their defense just matches up well against what Phoenix has been trying to do. 
Yeah, and I mean, you look at the other um, teams that they played as well. Atlanta, they've had some trouble with their front court players this season. Obviously, Indiana doesn't get a ton of shooting from you know, their, their front court uh, either. And, and I think both of those teams, as well as Phoenix, are just a really good matchup for kind of what Connecticut wants to do defensively. And we'll see, you know, I think even tonight's matchup, you know, this will be released after the Vegas game, uh, but we're recording before it. Uh, or during it, I should say. But, you know, theoretically, and this is obviously a big talent discrepancy that from kind of what we've seen the past couple of weeks, but they have a big center to guard Liz Cambage, and they have a good matchup at the other big spot for Asia Wilson. So, I mean, I think Vegas will have better success in this upcoming game than the other two teams have. But even like philosophically, it's still, you know, not really making Connecticut super uncomfortable in kind of what they want to do. No right? one's really pulling them out of the paint. Yeah, exactly. Where, where do you want to go from here? Um, one thing I wanted to talk about from Phoenix, and actually from Connecticut too, because I think it's just such a, it was such a um, stark difference between these two teams, is the defensive communication. Early on, Phoenix was giving up, they gave up several like wide open backdoor layups. While on the other hand, Connecticut, I mean, you could just tell their defense, their communication was just on point. The rotations are really crisp. They're like, like they're getting... They weren't getting beat off the point of attack very often, which is, I mean, if you have Jasmine Thomas guarding the point of attack, she's not going to get beat very often. But, you know, in the times that she did get beat, the rotation was there. Not many wide open shots allowed. I just, I just thought it was, it looked so different from what Phoenix was doing. What was Phoenix doing? They were not communicating, I think. No. At least that's what it looked like. Like you said, there were a ton of just kind of uncontested half-court layups. You know, Bree Jones got a couple of those on really nice feeds, I thought, from Dewana Bonner. Passes that I think Bonner isn't always necessarily capable of, or I don't know if capable is the right word, but not, not something where, you know, Bonner isn't always going to dime up the player when that opportunity is there. But, you know, there were three-second violations. There were before-the-play fouls. You know, I, I just think the defensive culture on this team, like Bree Turner individually is a really good one-on-one defender but this team just really lacks you know and I hate to be the culture guy but the defensive discipline is so bad on this team and there's so many obvious miscues that you just have to wonder like do they do they practice this like is this something that's stressed at all or do you know is the is the Tarasi Griner Brondello combination just beyond capable of kind of consistent defensive effort because it's a group that's been so accomplished and has done so much together and, you know, they do always kind of strike me as like, oh, you know, we'll coast on that end on the regular in the regular season type team. Like, is, is that unfair, do you think? No, I don't think it's unfair, especially because this has been happening for them for so long. Uh, I can't recall the last time. I think the last time they were actually a good defensive team was, was when they won it all in 2014. I'd, I'd have to check that. But you're right. I mean, it, it looks like and these defensive miscues are just so basic. It, you know, allowing these backdoor layups to the opposing team's center, like, it's not even like a super athletic wing cutting, like, like making a really hard cut and, and diving to the basket. No, it's, it's, you're letting Bree Jones dive to the basket and nobody even picks her up. Like, while everyone is ball watching, I don't, that just seems like such basic stuff, doesn't it? Like, how does a professional team keep making these mistakes over and over again? Yeah, it was, it was tough to watch and unfortunately something that we've seen all too often for this Phoenix group. But let, let's move on to some of the other things to talk about as I think there's kind of a lot. We okay, have yeah, on this game. I wanted to talk about John Quote Jones a little bit, her performance in this game, um, some of you know what's been working for Connecticut so well. The three player lineup, you know, playing Bonner at the three with John Quell at the four and Bree Jones at the five. This is something that you and I were both extremely skeptical of coming into the season. And so far, it's been working pretty well. That three player group. So far this season, you know, this is before the Vegas game, mind you, so we'll see what happens. But they have a 118.9 offensive rating, those three players together, and a 92 defensive rating. So they're able to score at an insanely high clip while being pretty respectable defensively as well, and more than respectable elite. But that three-player lineup also, you know, so far, they're shooting 48% from three through four games. You know, and as a team, the Connecticut, they're shooting – over 43% as well. So, you know, John Quell is eight for 14. Bonner's, you know, a career 30% shooter is 11 for 20. Heidemann is 37% on the highest volume of her career. Jasmine Thomas and Kyla Charles on low volume are both 40% plus. So I think we're going to see some shooting regression. Um, But so far, you know, what this team has been able to do, like I mentioned before, highest 
in league history type offensive rebounding numbers so far, as well as much, much better shooting than could realistically have been expected from beyond the arc. You know, as a, uh, as a longtime Chicago Bulls fan, sometimes it seemed like back in the uh, like 2012, 2013, 2014 years, sometimes it seemed like their best offense was an offensive rebound for Joakim Noah. Like just take a terrible two point shot and Noah will get the shot and he'll clean it up. But like, that kind of seems like it, but the sun are actually shooting the ball really well. So like, that's, that's where the comparison ends, but yes, there's going to be some, some shooting regression, but I do like the philosophy. I mean, I feel like in the past, this team hasn't really, really been one to hunt three point shots. They've been getting up a good number of three point shots. Yeah. And they've been really running some great actions for John Quo Jones yes. specifically Yes, uh, actions where, you know, she will start out in the paint um, I was listening to a new podcast called Step Through, which highlighted the uh, the roll and replace philosophy that Connecticut's been doing a lot, where John Quell will start in the paint. You know, they'll run a, a 1-5 or a 2-5 pick and roll with Bree Jones, have her roll to the basket, and then John Quell comes up from there, and it's almost like Bree Jones is setting a second screen, and John Quell is getting freed up from that action. And that's really generated a lot of clean looks for John Quell Jones and you know, overall, she has been awesome this year, but it has been, and, and this is something we've talked about before, something where she has been really, really good at, you know, the, the three-point game, catch-and-shoot threes specifically. She's seven for 12 for the season so far on catch-and-shoot threes. She was two of three in this specific game. She's been really great in the restricted area where for the season, she's 14 for 18, and two of those four misses she rebounded her own miss and and finished anyway uh and then she was in this one three for four in the restricted area and then kind of everything else is a little bit more dicey right she's she's one for five on those baseline fadeaways that she likes so much she's four for seven you know which is okay on the middle fadeaways uh you know middle of the paint kind of elbow to elbow type area so those areas those shots that you know she she likes sometimes not a huge reliable driver of good offense, but when she's getting all the way to the restricted area, like she can do for sure. Uh, or when she's taking catch and shoot threes, it's been really good. Uh, and that continued to Friday night in that game against Phoenix. The, what did you call that, that play again? A roll and replace. So the big is uh, rolling, you know, the, the screener is rolling down and then someone is coming up to replace them at the top of the, uh, at the top of the key, I guess. Or Roll replace. Okay, that's that's good because that that is something I noticed. They they were running for JJ. She got like four or five. I mean, not not four or five. She, she got a few good three point looks off of that action. Um, I was trying to figure out what what exactly you, you would call it, but and that's another thing I wanted to to at least mention is that Bree Jones had a really good screening game, and that's something that I don't think there's any reason why she can't continue to do that. One of the reasons why we didn't like, or at least I didn't like the Jones Jones combination, was because it would encourage John Quell to kind of float around out on the perimeter, which we don't like. But this way, if you're actually like running plays for her, like if you at least start her down in the paint area or in the, in the low post, and then you can bring her off one of those screens and like get her going in rhythm. That's, I think that's a lot more, that's productive offense, you know? And I think that speaks to how good of a job Kurt Miller has done so far this year is because he's like, I think he probably realizes that this isn't an optimal offensive lineup, but that's that's as that's about as good of a play as, as I could think of as like making the best opportunity of what you have, you know? Oh, one other thing to kind of keep an eye on with regards to John Quell Jones's game uh, as we kind of move along here. She took seven free throw attempts her first game uh, and she's had three total since, uh, since that. Three in the Atlanta game and then zero her last two games. So definitely something to keep an eye on. Oh, but one other thing I want to say about John Quell, it, it wasn't in my notes, but it, it is something I think is worth uh, mentioning you know, she seems capable of taking advantage of strength mismatches, I guess, in ways that maybe she wasn't able to uh, previously. You know, I always cite like how Minnesota would guard her in years past where they would stick Sylvia Fowles on Alyssa Thomas and then have Damaris Dantas guard JJ. And JJ oftentimes wasn't able to kind of take advantage of that matchup strength-wise. You know, in this game specifically, like she just put Bree Turner in the goal a few times and she's been doing that more and more this season. And you have to like that, right? Because it, even if the free throws aren't coming now, if she keeps that play up, they'll come later. Yeah, and in this game specifically, like there were 
definitely instances where she could have gotten to the line. Like they, she got fouled a couple times there and it just wasn't called. But Okay, listen to this. I, I, I wanted to make sure I, I highlight this, this free throw uh, thing. So in the first game between these two teams, which was not long prior to this matchup, 45 combined fouls, 51 free throw attempts. This game that we're talking about, 29 fouls, 22 free throw attempts. That's weird. Yeah, I, I, nothing really Just, jumped out in terms of like, I mean, players were getting into the paint. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't think it was an overly perimeter-based game where, you know, it wouldn't result in free throws. And while I was watching it, there wasn't like, I mean, there were a couple instances like Skylar Diggins-Smith maybe kind of could have got to the line a couple more times if, if it were, weren't called. But yeah, I don't know. Did, did anything jump out at you while you were watching? Like, you know, they're really letting him play in this one? Not, maybe not really. But again, I just have a really hard time believing that you could have such a change in philosophy from two different teams that just played like a few days prior to like, they were over, they shot fewer than 50% of free throws compared to the first game. So I don't know. That's, that, that's something I, I just find interesting. I'm not, I'm not saying the refs are good. I'm not saying the refs are bad or anything. But it's it just goes to show like how one crew can call the same matchup radically differently than another crew will call it a few days later, you know? Yeah, so I wanted to, and we're kind of bouncing all over the place here, but I wanted to talk yeah. a little bit about um, Kia Nurse's game. It was kind of another tough one for Nurse. Uh, two for six from the field, 0 for two from two-point range. She did go two of four from three, uh, had a couple really ugly turnovers on bad passes, 441 true shooting percentage so far for Nurse this season. She's struggled both from two-point range and three-point range, uh, this game notwithstanding. You know, she's essentially through their four games, had one efficient game so far. That was the Washington game. I thought defensively she did a really nice job. She held Bonner in check. You know, Bonner got her points up, but, you know, when it was Nurse on Duana Bonner, like, more so than, you know, she held her to a bunch of missed shots. Like, she only went 0 for 1 against Nurse in the first half, and she committed an offensive foul. You know, all of her points kind of came in other scenarios, you know, in transition, being guarded by Megan Walker or on a Brittany Griner switch. Uh, she, ha- she shot a couple technical fouls. So I thought Nurse did a really good job defensively. But again, the offense has been a little bit slow to come around. And I just kind of want to check in on you on like what you thought of like the small forward rotation. Do you still prefer Nurse in this spot or have any of their other options kind of jumped out to you so far? Okay, so this, is, this might surprise you, but I think Sophie Cunningham had a really, really good game. And I am starting to come around on Sophie Cunningham because, you know, it's interesting you lead with, you know, nurse playing good defense because I thought she did play a good defense, but I saw Cunningham stay in front of Bonner, stay in front of Dijon Carrington. Like she's doing a really good job at just staying in front of people. She's not going to be asked to, I mean, it'd be nice if she could hit a three pointer, but she's not going to be asked to take a lot of shots as it is, but it's kind of the opposite of what I expected Sophie Cunningham to be in the WNBA. I didn't think she'd be very good on defense at all but she has been quietly a pretty good defender. So will they change it? I don't think so. I think you got to let nurse write out her struggles. I, I still do believe that, that nurse is going to be a plus for this team, you know, because she can play both ends of the floor theoretically and she can handle a lot of minutes, but I mean, only 17 minutes in this game. You're right. She wasn't very effective. So it's as far as the production is concerned, it's still in flux. So we're, we're going a little bit long on this game, and I still have a lot of notes. So are there anything specifically you think we should get to? No, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to talk about Jasmine Thomas, I guess, a little bit. This was her second game back. She had 15 points on 13 shooting possessions in 28 minutes, and kind of more of the same for Jasmine Thomas in that she's a really, really effective player when she's able to catch and shoot. Like, I think the opportunities where you can generate a good, clean catch and shoot look like that is a nice role for Jasmine Thomas, despite kind of the preconceived notions of who she is as a player. You know, you talked about before, like it's crazy to think about that is Jasmine Thomas's strength as an offensive player is nice, clean catch and shoot jump shots, but she was three for four on them in this game, one for two in the first game back for Jasmine Thomas. And, you know, she's, she was able to get into the paint a little bit and finish okay, you know, three for six on layups. Uh, but then, you know, the in-between game, she was 0 for 2 on dribble jumpers and she was 0 for 1 on that weird step through that she tried late in the game. So, you know, I think it'll be important for this team to continue to have Jasmine Thomas do the things she does well and not do the things that she's not really capable of doing, which is shooting off the dribble. 
Well, that's, that's a good point. What's, what's the trademark? What's the hallmark of a good coach putting players in the position for them to succeed. And I, I think as long as Jasmine Thomas isn't hunting that in between shot, like obviously someone's gonna have to shoot it if the shot clock is running down and you don't really have anything going, but you're right. I mean, she has quietly become a pretty good catch and shoot player in the past few seasons of her career, which has not always been the case for Jasmine Thomas in the WNBA, but yeah, I mean, and that's, that's going to be key for her, uh, for this, this sun three point offense to continue its, its thing, because you got to figure Dewana Bonner is going to regress a little bit, particularly because she has the ball in her hand so often, you know, not all of her three point looks are you would consider to be the, the greatest three point looks, but one player I wanted to talk about is Natisha Heidemann because, you know, Brianne January went down with an injury. She didn't play in this one. Heidemann has been asked to carry a much larger role so far this season. And I think she's done a pretty good job. She definitely has. Yeah. I think some of it is maybe some unsustainable two point shooting, you know, 62% on 16 two point shots this season so far after not cracking 40% from two in either of her first two seasons, but I love her aggressiveness. And uh, obviously, you know, she's someone who's going to play with a lot of effort and physicality defensively, even if she doesn't always execute the best out there on that end, but She's been a really encouraging and surprising, I think, offensive force for them so far. And she, she does bring that outside shooting. Yeah, like I mentioned before, 37% so far. And that's, that's kind of been like a strength of hers since she stepped in. Like that's not really, yeah. I mean, it's nice to see the uh, frequency increasing a little bit more uh, as, as her role increases. And I think, you know, she's probably no worse than like the second or third best just catch and shoot three-point shooter on this team like that's a really reliable shot for her uh and there were times in the semifinals last year where Kurt Miller uh felt more comfortable playing Heidemann over January because January you know obviously as that series went on just couldn't get anything going and Heidemann is a little bit more reliable out there okay so let me ask you this assuming January is is going to be out for a little while I mean I don't know the extent of her injury which is frustrating but that's the WNBA um are there any wing players on the Sun roster that have jumped out at you so far? I remember we were both on board with Kyla Charles getting the starting nod uh, heading in the season. That has not happened. It's kind of been between her and Dijanae Carrington. I haven't seen much from either player thus far of you. No, I mean, I still like, I mean, both of them, especially in this game, gave you some real effort plays in terms of, you know, going after loose balls, grabbing, oh, for sure. stuff like that. But I don't think either one of them are real plus offensive players at this time you know Charles is a little bit too low volume uh, you know she's only two for five from behind the arc this season in four games which is not very good but I think the discouraging thing really for her has been her finishing inside like she's a player who we talked about you know she has this this strength and size for her position where you know that should be something where she's able to kind of capitalize and finish around the rim um, and she even in this one just had some really easy bunnies that she just kind of blew uh, specifically around the rim and she's one for 10 from two this season so it's been it's been a struggle for Charles I'm not ready to give up on her yet obviously she still has a lot of tools that you really like but you know the offense definitely has to come around and Carrington I, I like her aggression you know uh, I was just talking about maybe Charles isn't aggressive enough you know we definitely don't have that problem with Carrington no. out there but I guess just got to see it go in a, a little bit more and Carrington I think is a rookie in, in every sense of the word. You know, we had that in this game specifically, like that leak out by Sophie Cunningham on a made basket where Carrington just kind of walked up the court and uh, Sophie Cunningham, you know, saw her just not really giving the effort to get back down off a made basket and got an easy layup off of it. So, you know, that's just the kind of thing that I guess a rookie will give you sometimes. But to answer your question, like, no, none of the players other than Heidemann have really been impressive off the bench. And I think bench scoring, especially while January is out and you have Heidemann starting, like bench scoring is going to be hard to come by for this team. Yeah, so that makes it all more critical that Miller staggers his lineups effectively. Is there anything else you wanted to, to touch on for this game? Because we are running a little long. No, that's okay. We can, we can move on. Okay, so that'll do it for that game. Moving on, Storm and Wings, a very high-scoring, fast-paced, thrilling game. If the Mercury Sun game we talked about was a slow one, this one, not so slow. Storm outlasting the Wings in overtime, 100 to 97. A lot to talk about here, I think. Yeah, so I think we should start with maybe the lineup. So the Wings, I thought this was interesting. They went with a, a three-guard lineup starting the game with Jefferson Agumbawale and Marina Mabry. And then Kayla Thornton at the four, 
And then for the Storm, they went with Talbot, who I think is, you know, their best option at the three in terms of pure threes, especially with Katie Lou Samuelson now. And then they went back to Dupree starting at the four, I would say, with Stewart as the five. And this one looked like it would be a little bit of a, you know, theoretically a better matchup for Candace Dupree, but it was still a little bit of a struggle. We don't have to start there. Is there someone somewhere else you wanted to kind of start with this one? Well, let's let's start with those starting lineups and how they matched up with each other. Because, you know, uh, for the Storm, uh, for context, Katie Lou Samuelson is currently competing with Team USA in the three-on-three tournaments. She'll be missing a few more games, I believe. So it's kind of between Talbot and maybe Kennedy Burke, you know, Burke hasn't gotten much playing time, but um, it looks like the starting spot is Talbot's to lose, but you alluded to that starting lineup for the wings going with three guards, maybe had a terrific game, but before we get into that, why do you like that in this situation and and why might not you like it in other situations? Well, it was something that I thought when I I looked at the starting lineups and I saw that they were going to go with Mabry, Ogumbawale, and Jefferson together, like this makes sense, right? Because you don't have a three that's going to put wing the wings starting three in the goal. Like Steph Talbot is a pure kind of three and D player. Like she doesn't really give you much off the bounce. She's not going to, you know, she has good positional size, but she's not going to leverage that size offensively really. So if you have Mabry or Goombawale, whichever of those two players, you know, nominally, nominally guarding the three there, this team isn't really kind of, especially with Katie Lou Samuelson out kind of primed to take advantage of that. Other teams, I think, you know, if you have a Dewana Bonner or someone like that, you know, might be able to take a little bit more advantage of it. Uh, and there are better examples, but we were just talking about the sun. And it, it worked out really well for the Wings. As you mentioned, Mabry had a career high. She was great scoring from all three levels in this one. 26 points on 18 shooting possessions. She was 6 of 14 from three, 4 of 4 from two, made some really nice passes, and I thought played some really nice defense as well. Um you know, she forced a turnover on a mishandled pass by Sue Bird, forced a turnover on Steph Talbot dribbling off her leg. You know, I thought she played some nice one-on-one defense at, on Jewel Lloyd. And you could tell Lloyd, you know, two, uh, two Notre Dame players, Lloyd really wanted to go at her. And, and she definitely got some moments on her. But other times, Mabry, you know, really made her work for it. And at times in this game, uh, late in the fourth quarter, in the overtime, like Mabry really kept him in it. She did. The one, the one play that, that comes to mind immediately when you say, keeping a minute late in the game was that she shot it from like 35, 40 feet. That just absolute bomb. Uh, I, I think it was a broken play, but um, yeah, I mean, her shooting was incredible. She played 41 minutes out there. So the wings are obviously comfortable keeping her out there next to Ogumbawale. I think it must be mentioned again, those two have great chemistry on the court. And this is another example in which I think, yeah, that's obvious, you know? Yeah. And yeah again, maybe- 14 attempts for a Marina Mabry, who's not a high usage player necessarily, um, but they were giving her clean looks and, you know, she's not going to turn down if you're shading a couple steps behind the line, which we saw a, a second half adjustment from the storm coming out with some different starters. I, I think Mabry's offensive game had a little bit to do with it, but w- was there something you were going to say? No, not, not in particular. I just wanted to, to talk about the Ogunbowale Mabry combination, but we've talked about that already plenty. Those are the two, but I can kind of lead, I can kind of, jump off that and lead into this. You figure that Ogunbowale and maybe are clearly the two guards in this rotation. They have their, their spots set. You know, those are the two building blocks. Those are the two guards who, you know, you don't really question. And, and of course, Alicia Gray too, but she also is competing for Team USA right now in three-on-three tournament. So did not play in this game. What, what do you want to say about this, this, these wings rotations? Because it started Jefferson. She played 28 minutes. Wasn't really effective like at all. Ty Harris got 16 minutes. Dana Evans even got a little bit of time, but I don't know. It, it, there are some weird lineups. Like, for example, they played Jefferson and Harris together for a few minutes, which I thought was kind of interesting. How do you, what do you make of that, if anything? Yeah, so Jefferson, 0 for 6 from the field, one assist, three turnovers, including that three and one fast break where she turned it over and, you know, wasn't able to, I think she just didn't want to shoot the ball. You know, was that the one wanted, Brianna Stewart broke up? Yeah, exactly. I think, I mean, this team at this point is really low on just wing players. And we saw Thornton start at the four, but also get some minutes at the three. And I think maybe that's just the option you you go with a little bit more. As much as I like to see this team play a little bit smaller, they just have more effective bigs at this point, you know, with with the players that they have out, the players that they expect to return soon or, or at some point in the season um, between Savoli and Kouye. You know, Thornton... I like as a four a lot, but it's still probably their best three as well. 
when you consider, I mean, maybe the other thing you try is the Agumboale Mabry combination, you know, still go with three guards and just have Ty Harris out there instead of Mariah Jefferson. And, you know, Jefferson did have some nice defensive plays, but I just think she makes it real tough for you offensively. Yeah. It's, it's really a shame with Jefferson because she came into the WNBA had a, had a really awesome rookie season, but then the injuries started piling up and it's pretty clear that, you know, she doesn't really have that burst on offense anymore. And if they're invested in Ty Harris, I think Harris at least brings something valuable uh, like uh, on defense and she can take care of the ball on offense too. So it's, it's valued for sure. What else was I going to say? Yeah. Kayla Thornton, you mentioned it. She's, she played a lot at the four, but she also played a lot at the three. It just seems like Satu Sabali until she returns and until Alicia Gray returns, Kayla Thornton is going to be playing like 36 minutes a game. Yeah. And she played great in this game. I thought one interesting thing, you know, unlike earlier in the week where we saw kind of Minnesota's best option, on Stewart was Bridget Carlton. Uh, you know, she wasn't getting overpowered by Stewart and she was just able to kind of hang laterally. You know, Thornton theoretically would kind of provide that same thing. But in this game, Thornton was just getting ball racked. Like Stewie was just shooting right over her in the mid range or from three or, or at the rim. And I thought Harrison held up a little bit better on Stewart one on one. Obviously, like Thornton is considered a much better defensive player than Bridget Carlton, but it was interesting that that just didn't work in this game. Isabel Harrison, you said she had like the game of her life. Yeah, she was really, really good, I think, on both ends. So she, 16 points on 17 shooting possessions. She was six of nine in the restricted area for Izzy Harrison, just one of seven on jumpers. But I thought she, at times, played really good defense on Stewart. You know, I think it kind of turned into a pumpkin late in the game as Stewart just took over the overtime. Uh, and put the game away almost by herself. But, you know, she had some really nice plays, obviously some some great highlight plays with the spin move and stuff like that, some great finishes. The team as a whole really, I think, dominated the offensive rebounds and that I think um, played a little bit into the the rotation of this Storm team where they, you know, started the game with uh, Talbot and Dupree, but then in the second half came out with some different starters, uh, Canada and Russell, um, started the second half for Talbot and Dupree. And, you know, I, th- I think there was a lot of different factors to that. One is definitely the offensive rebounding where this team had a 40% offensive rebound rate in the first half. I think this move, uh, 35% offensive rebound rate, excuse me, in the first half, it shifted Canada to the uh, primary defender of Enrique, which I definitely want to get into uh, at some point. Um, but it also just gave Seattle another ball handler, which I think was a really important aspect of um, – you know, opening things up for Seattle. It's something I, I think as much as we both, I think like Talbot as that three for this team, you know, when you have bird who is a great player, but is limited in certain ways, like she's not going to dribble penetrate all the way to the rim. So that gives you kind of just like Lloyd Stewart and like bird kind of as real, like dribble playmakers. So having Canada out there, I think really allowed things to, as much as she's a flawed offensive player, just, you know, give you another player that can dribble, can penetrate, can make passes. And the traditional lineups for this team, I think, have really lacked that kind of tertiary option that Alicia Clark provided for this team, or even Sammy Whitcomb provided for this team in years past. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point. When they inserted Canada in the, in the lineup in the, in the second half, I, that, you know, Sue Bird, she does still do one thing very well offensively, and that's shoot the three. So I think she can, you can feasibly get her playing off the ball a little bit if you have somebody on defense to hide her on. And I don't, I'm not sure like what brought this on, but towards the end of the first half, it just seemed like Seattle was pretty sloppy with the basketball. Not like Canada is, is, some, is some low turnover guard, although she didn't have any turnovers in this game, so that's, that's good for her. But it feels like when, they, when the Wings were bringing that defensive pressure, Seattle was a little out of sorts. So maybe by inserting that extra ball handler in the lineup, it just kind of calmed things down a little bit. What do you think? No, I definitely think so. Like, I I think, you know, this team just really seems to like lack dribble options, like dribble penetration options, or just someone that can do something else besides kind of just, you know, catch and shoot threes are great. But when your offense is kind of stagnating, like a catch and shoot three isn't really going to be a value add in kind of what the storm were struggling with kind of late in the first half, as you alluded to. All right, but they still do have their big two, arguably the top one-two punch in the league right now, Brianna Stewart and Jewel Lloyd. Another really, really, really good game for those two. Yeah, Lloyd, 
you know, wasn't her most efficient offensive game, um, but she, she got it going a little bit um, in the paint in the second half. I thought she played really good defense, kind of regardless of who she was on. It was more uh, Arike Gumbawale in the first half, and Arike was only two for six with Lloyd guarding her. Um, and, and this is something I want to dive into a little bit more, but, uh, and then, you know, in the, in the second half, you know, I felt like, uh, Lloyd early on in the game was kind of really hungry for that jump shot to fall. Uh, and then, you know, sh- things kind of settled in a little bit and, you know, she, she had some real notable moments in the second half, getting to the lane, getting to the rim, four of six in the paint in the second half for Lloyd, you know, with a nice finish over Allery, she, put Maybrick in the goal once, um, you know, obviously had that beautiful finish of the hammer play to bring them within one yes. at the very end of the fourth quarter. I mean, that was just an amazing shot kind of, um, you know, it was a different action, but reminiscent of, you know, same spot in the corner last year to win the game against the Sparks in, regu- uh, in the regular season. Um, so, I mean, and the other thing is just aesthetically, like she has the nicest jump shot in the league, I think. Oh, it's so pretty. I, I know this isn't, you know, maybe, maybe this reference is, is dating myself a little bit and uh, maybe people just don't know it, but her jump shot is like the Ken Griffey Jr. swing of jump shots. It's just <laughs> so beautiful, you know, so smooth. She shoots such an easy ball. She gets such great elevation. Um, I, I love it. You know, she's she's a great player to watch. She's amazing. And, you know, you referenced that hammer action, which um, you saw who set that screen? Was it Russell? I want to it say it was Russell. It was Russell, and this was—I think—people uh, on Twitter were a little confused about this. They waited a while. The storm waited a while to put Russell in the game. There, it went down the stretch, um, and I think uh, Storm Chasers on, on Twitter asked Dan Hughes about this after the game, and he gave a very humble reply to this this question. I, I, so the question was something along the lines of—and forgive me, this is, this isn't um, verbatim, but it was something like. Uh, you stuck with Candace for a while, even though you're getting out rebounded, you know, was there a thought of putting Russell in the game earlier? And Hughes said, yeah, actually there was a thought. And, you know, thinking back on it, I probably waited too long. You know, coaches make mistakes and that's something we're going to have to look at. And I thought that was a great reply. You know, Dan Hughes is, is a, is a class act. He's a very, very humble and very uh, good guy to talk with. But I mean, there's such a huge difference between Dupree out there and Russell out there. I figured this would be a game in which Dupree wasn't so entirely outmatched like she was against Vegas. But even so, I mean, even in this game, you saw what her deficiencies were very obviously. Yeah, and you just look at the stat sheet, you know, eight points on nine shooting possessions, eight rebounds. She was only minus two, but it really felt like she killed them in that fourth quarter. Um, you know, you one thing is you just kind of have to play a different defensive scheme with Candace Dupree than the rest of your roster. Like she's not able to be as aggressive as pretty much your other three bigs on this team in terms of getting out on the floor, uh, really trapping some of those ball screens. And, you know, one thing that I think kind of we, you and I kind of talked ourselves into, you know, maybe this could work. We were both low on it when it happened. Uh, kind of thought about the best case scenario, Candace Dupree, one year deal, a lot of surrounding talent, you know, just being an elite play finisher. And I think what we've seen is a little bit more self-creation on this team than I think we would like to see from Candace Dupree at this point with this roster around her. And tonight, you know, she was one of four for the rim. She missed that very makeable finish on that nice uh, um, skip pass, or not skip pass, but that nice extra feed from Talbot. Uh, I don't know if you know the one I'm talking about, but Talbot got into pain and immediately got it over to Dupree who missed the layup. She couldn't finish over the smaller Dana Evans later in the half. Um, you know, she had a, a rebound ripped away from her by Marina Mabry in the second half. She, you know, barely chased after that loose ball with 30 seconds left in the game down two. you know, she did end up getting the jump ball with Kayla Thornton, but you could tell, you know, Thornton, you know, to avoid cliches, we're, we're going to use one. She, she just wanted it more, right? She ran harder. She, it was well, she barely reached. even, she barely even reached for it. Yeah, exactly. Until, uh, Thornton was already on the ground you yeah. know, with, with the basketball. So, um, and aside from that was just kind of everything else that, that she brought to you in terms of um, Dallas having that huge rebounding advantage and the uh, lack of mobility Dupree brings on the defensive end. Yeah, if she's not bringing it on offense, it's, it's going to be a problem. And she hasn't really been bringing it on offense either, as you alluded to. So uh, do you think it's time for them to, to put Russell in the starting lineup? Yeah, and that's, 
an interesting thing that we saw here was very limited Ezzy Magbiger minutes yeah. in this game. She played five minutes all in the first half. Um, I, I mean, I didn't think she played terribly. You know, she mishandled a pass in the second quarter. Um, she didn't step up on a coverage, I think, once, kind of in the middle of the floor. That led to an open jump shot. You know, Inigwe scored her scored on her in the post, uh, but I thought Ezzy played good D there. So it was interesting that Ezzy only got those five minutes. But I think there is still some concern on my end for, for what Mercedes Russell brings to you as an offensive player. You know, I think she had one point in this game, I want to say, maybe um, – 0 for 1 from the floor and then 1 for 2 from, from the free throw line. Maybe that's, oh no, that, that is right. She, you know, she mishandled a catch on a, a pass from Stewart as well. So, you know, she's a player for for a player that does not really have a ton of touch. You know, she does try a lot of floaters and they don't really go in that much. Um, but I think just everything else she brings you, you know, with her defensive mobility for her size, the size itself, the rebounding. The verticality. You know, the verticality. Um, even if she's not the perfect fit offensively, you know, if Ezzy isn't going to be a realistic option to play 25 minutes a game, then Russell is definitely, you know, your second best choice. Like if you're playing against the best teams in the league, Mercedes Russell is going to bring you more than Candace Dupree does. Yeah. Okay. Um, where do you want to go from here? Because I still have some questions about this wings rotation. Well, what are your questions about this? Wings okay, rotation? My question I want to talk is... about Stewart at some point, but let- Oh, well, yeah, we need to talk about so We can finish with that. Um, my question is, uh, your number one overall draft pick played eight and a half minutes. Why? Yeah, and, you know, she – I mean, she didn't have a great night. Well, she was minus 17 in those minutes, which is pretty hard yeah. to do, but still. And, you know, I, I get it, right? Like, this is the defending champs. You have a, a chance to win, um, you know, be a big kind of morale booster for this team. But they didn't end up winning. They they lost. Like, they're going to probably lose a lot of games this year and your player your number one pick didn't even really get any development time she got an extremely quick hook in the first half she actually did play two stints I thought she'd maybe uh, gotten the Carolyn swords in the first half but she actually just got <laughs> taken out of the game within like three minutes uh, in the first half uh, at the start of the first half and then played a minute you know later in that half and then did not come in for a second half and uh, a second stint in the second half excuse me um so, you know, after that, Dallas kind of played like a three-big rotation with Harrison and Allery and Thornton, and then Thornton would slide up to the three. Uh, and then Anigwe had one stint in the first half but didn't, didn't come back in the second half. So it was interesting. You know, I thought Allery had some good defensive moments, but obviously, like, has, still hasn't brought you anything as an offensive player. Um, but, you know, that's a, a big investment to play eight minutes. Yeah, and I'm I'm just wondering how invested they are. Obviously, they're invested in Collier. That's that's not going to change. But I'm just curious how invested they are now in Allery, actually, because with this being a very big Isabel Harrison game, I just I just want to keep an eye on this moving forward because they've got a lot of pieces they need to figure out in this rotation. You know, you have young players that you picked last year, and you have young players that you picked this year. How invested are you in those respective players? Um, like Anigwe played. She's which wasn't she just a hardship signing? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it, um, and then Dana Evans played seven minutes. She, um, that was that first stint, I believe, in which Ty Harris wasn't really effective. So they just bring Dana Evans in for a few minutes. Chelsea Dungey, no minutes. Is your number five overall pick? And you say they need wings. Well, I mean, there, there's a scoring wing for it, but she's had a hard time getting on the floor in any game this season. So I just really wonder what Dallas is doing. I, you know, uh, you, you brought it up again. This is the defending champs. They want to win. Um, but how do you balance like winning and, and developing? You know, I, I just, it's interesting. I can't argue with the results. Don't get me wrong because the wings have been a pretty impressive team throughout their first two games. And I, I want to make that clear. Like this is a very fun wings team. And I think they're much improved compared to where they were last year. But when Savoli returns, when Alicia Gray returns, those are two players who are going to get their, their 28 to 30 minutes a game. Right. So that just further, that just further spreads out the minutes. Like, like where are these minutes going to go? Yeah, I I think it's very clear, right, that they are prioritizing winning now, um, whether that's the right call for kind of where this group is. But you can see that with Jefferson's minutes over yeah. some of their younger players, with Harrison's minutes over some of their younger players. 
Um, so it's not necessarily something I agree with, uh, but like you said, they've been really, really impressive and, you know, maybe they can push for the seventh seed uh, at the expense of getting players that they drafted, they invested really, you know, really good assets in, um, uh, you know, that, that experience. But uh, two more things I, I think we should talk about is okay. one, the game of Arike Agumbawale, and then obviously Brianna Stewart. And we can kind of wrap up after that. Cause, uh, okay. Talk we- about Agumbawale because we, we feel like they, br- one of the reasons the storm brought Canada in, in that second half was to kind of give them a defender against Agumbawale. And they, they had a really good fight, I think. Yeah, it was really entertaining, but I mean, I, I don't really think defensively like Canada gave you much more of an upgrade over what Jewel Lloyd was giving you. I think, um, you know, maybe they just kind of wanted to let Lloyd do a little bit less defensively on that end. Um, but the interesting thing to me was like how effective Arike was in transition and in finishing plays rather than doing the Arike's isoing, kind of forcing the issue thing uh, where, you know, she had, you know, whether it was Canada or Lloyd guarding her as the primary defender, like she wasn't really able to be that effective, just creating for herself in the half court. Um, and she had 28 points, right? So she, she must've been pretty good, but the best moments for her really came in transition where she had, uh, by my count, 14 points on eight shooting possessions, uh, including three of her four trips to the line. One of those was an and one. Um, and then a couple of her other buckets were, you know, the ball was pinging around one of the few times the ball pings around for the the Dallas Wings. And she had a nice catch and shoot opportunity. And then she hit another three on kind of a broken play offensive rebound that she was able to just kind of catch at the at the top of the arc and uh, walk back out to the, the three-point line and take it. So that's, you know, 20 of her points on 13 of her shooting possessions. And then otherwise, I think Seattle did a really nice job containing her in the half court when she tried to do, you know, the the rest of the kind of Arike stuff where, and that resulted in eight points on 13 kind of traditional half court creating for her own possession type uh, possessions. And you'll take that if you're Seattle. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, But I I think it does maybe speak to, and, you know, getting out in transition, that's definitely something we want to see more of from Arike, but we do, I think, want this offense to be a little bit more free flowing, right? You don't think it's, it's more free flowing than it looks better than it did to me last year. Yeah, it does look a little bit better. I mean, Enrique still, you know, it's only been two games, right? So the Maybe that's math, just because their shots are going in. I don't know. The, the math stuff gets a little funky when you're dealing with such a small sample size. But she's a 35% usage so far. Yeah. Um, but she has been really, really good, right? And all, all credit to her. But I think, um, you know, some of the, the ISO stuff, you know, we saw it at the end of the game. Like, the attempts that she wants to take are just not really high-value attempts. They look good if they go in, but Maybe. yeah. Process-wise, maybe could get a little better. Um, so let's talk about Brianna Stewart, who I think yes. on both ends of the court was just awesome. Um, 36 points on 33 shooting possessions, 11 rebounds, five blocks, and just an absolute takeover in the overtime. Um, you know, I think she hit the first basket of the game for Seattle, the kind of uh, uh, ball-racking Thornton, as I mentioned before, on the left block. And... You know, like I said, I think Izzy Harrison did pretty good, you know, right, you know, at the rim defending Stewart. But overall, um, what a performance. I, I thought she was awesome in help defense, both in those five blocks, challenging offensive players at the rim, but also swarming on the perimeter with those traps. Uh, you know, it did lead in that one miscommunication where Allery got that wide, wide open layup uh, at the end of the first quarter. But otherwise, like, I, I thought she was awesome and forced the ball out of Enrique's hands. And, um, you know, just came over to help on a lot to make those looks a little bit tougher as well. Oh, she was everywhere on defense. And I think this is one of the reasons why maybe that, uh, that, that, that net, net differential from last year was maybe a little misleading because it doesn't take in, it doesn't, um, I don't want to say it doesn't take into account, but, um, it doesn't show like how active Brandon Stewart is on defense and how perfect of a fit is fit she is for a defensive scheme like this one. Even like the five blocks, even that's, that's a lot of blocks, but even shoving those to the, to the side for the moment, I mean, she was absolutely everywhere on the court, you know, hedging, trapping, um, just being disruptive as all, as all get out those block shots. I mean, there are a couple of them where she timed them so perfectly. She probably could have just like grabbed the ball out of it or she, or she wanted to. Um, and it's interesting, like her offense, I thought she was just, it seemed like she was just kind of coasting for most of the, like the first three quarters. One out of five on three, but 
Brianna Stewart coasting is better than the vast majority of the league trying at their best. So, I mean, MVP caliber performance. And then we got the, the seven points in overtime to really yeah. seal this one for Seattle. Uh, Seattle's first basket was a 2-4 pick and roll where uh, Stewart finished the layup. Next time down was a... Um, I guess that one would have been a 3-4 pick and roll because they were playing with Bird. And then there was the 2-4 pick and roll with Bird. And then we saw the inverted pick and roll uh, with Subert as the screener and Stewart as the ball handler. So that was a quick six points. She got to the free throw line, um, the not the next possession, but the one after that and went one for two. So, I mean, she, she absolutely just took over uh, the game, you know, down the stretch there. Um, and, you know... Seattle has Brianna Stewart and the other team doesn't. Yep. <laughs> Referencing a famous Gino Ariema quote. Um, one thing, speaking of the pick and rolls with Brianna Stewart, one thing I noticed is that the Lloyd Stewart pick and rolls seems to be working. Would that be something you want to see them do more of? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think. Cause like, how do you defend that? Yeah. And I think, especially now with kind of bird in this more catch and shoot phase of her career, you know, make the extra pass, you know, she's still going to orchestrate the offense, but when you're running the pick and roll, you kind of need as the ball handler, a three level scorer that that's going to kind of threaten you and make you make a tough choice and kind of what you want to take away. Mm-hmm. And obviously you're not going to go under with a Sue bird, but you're also not worried about her, you know, slashing into the teeth of the defense and getting all the way to the rims. So Lloyd might be a little bit of a better counterpart at this point in both of their careers where, you know, Lloyd, you know, is the best two guard in the lead uh, league, I think. Um, and it's coming from uh, after a game where Enrique Gumbawale just put up, you know, 26 or 28 points or whatever it was. But, um, you know, Lloyd, for her ability to just kind of play within the offense a little bit more, score from all three levels. Um, I mean, that that duo, I think, is the best guard or, or wing big duo in the league. Yeah, I, it's, it's hard for me to argue with that right now. And, and the reason I... I may be a little hesitant about it or was prior is because I don't know if Jewel Lloyd is the best pick and roll operator, but I mean, Brianna Stewart is so good at catching and finishing and, and just moving without the ball. Anyway, you don't need to make a perfect pass for Stewart to, to make the most of it. And if, if bird is playing off the ball, teams are still definitely going to respect her. You know, if, if she's just parked in the corner or whatever, she, they're going to respect her as a shooter. So even if it's not like, even if it's not Chelsea gray, neck Gumake type level of pick and roll, it's still taking your two best players and, and giving the defense a, a choice that like they can't really do anything with. Was there anything else you wanted to head on on this game? We, uh... um, not really. Maybe just a couple of quick notes. Uh, Makia Hurd-Harrigan still not playing. Not really sure what's going on there. Um, did, you, did you know anything about that? No, I mean, uh, we mentioned the other day that I saw her on the sidelines, but I mean, she's she's with the team. I think it's just uh, a DNP CD situation. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's pretty much all I've got. How about you? Uh, well, um, did you have any thoughts on the the Kennedy Burke minutes? You know, I think she had some some defensive miscues, which you know, if Kennedy Burke isn't going to be good on defense, then you right. know, you're not really going to play her that well. But she she did hit her. Uh, she I think she went one for three from behind the arc. Uh, she hit the first one. The third one was a good look. And then in between, she took like a dribble jumper, which you, you don't want to see. Um, but Mabry kind of gave it to Burke in, in Burke's minutes out there. If I was rooting for Kennedy Burke minutes, which I am, full stop, you know, full disclosure, um, I'd be concerned about this uh, this three-guard lineup the Storm opened the second half with. Because the way Jewel Lloyd is playing right now, I think you got to give her as many minutes as she can handle. And with Talbot being somewhat one-dimensional on offense, I mean, and you, you said it, like if, if Burke isn't contributing defensively, she probably shouldn't be playing at all. I understand that there are going to be situations in which you need Burke to, to go up against a big wing. This isn't that matchup for, for Dallas. So I think the Storm, just that the Storm were able to kind of play a little bit smaller and still maintain some sort of advantage, that's bad news for Burke. There's a time and place for her to play, but I think she's pretty far down on the depth chart at the moment. Yeah, and I think this three-guard lineup, you know, this is, I think, at least the second game in a row that they've gone to this with, uh, and I think it was a pretty big part of their comeback against Minnesota as well. So I imagine it's not something they're going to start, um, you know, start games with, but it, it will be something they uh, deploy situationally, and, you know, we'll see if uh, Canada, with her limitations, uh, you know, they can continue to make it work. Um, but I, I think anytime you're kind of 
running out like Burke and Russell together with Canada or yeah. uh, Dupree and Russell with Canada, you, you might run into some trouble. But if Lloyd and Stewart are and Bird are on the court with Canada, like you, you'll have a hard time not being a good offense, right? You have to. I mean, there's too much offensive talent. But as you said, if there are a bunch of players who are not threats from many spots on the floor, that's going to be tough. Should we wrap up? Let's wrap it up. Cool. Thank you all so much for listening. Um, this was a pretty good weekend of games. We didn't get to probably the, oh, not the best, but one of the best weekend, uh, one of the best games for sure, uh, Chicago and New York, which you were at today, Eric. Uh, congratulations for getting back into the arena. I know. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. But um, uh, thank you all for listening. If you want to support the show, which we would definitely appreciate, you can subscribe, rate, and review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google. Um, you can tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Double Down WNBA. You can follow Eric at Nemchak E or myself at Trinkwald. And we will talk to you next week. Take care, everybody.